Hello, BYWD Tribe. Here's a quick peek at our supplement, product, and book of the month for March 2020. At the end of the podcast, I'll spend a few minutes going into further detail, so we encourage you to listen to the end. The supplement of the month for March is Stress Rebalancer. This is our unique, specially selected blend of adaptogens, vitamins, herbs, and amino acids that will help counteract the negative effects of stress on your body. The 10% discount code for the month of March is Stress Relief. 10. That's lowercase. Our book of the month is F Your Feelings, Master Your Mind, Accomplish Anything and Become a More Significant Human by Ryan Muncy. Our product of the month is Kavaplex from True Kava. Our listeners will receive 20% off using the code and it's all capitals, capital B, capital Y, capital W, capital G, capital K, capital A, capital V, capital A, BYWG, Kava. <clears throat> it is very likely in the month of March we'll have both Ryan Muncy the author of F Your Feelings, and Cameron George from True Kava on the podcast. So keep an eye out. All the links, discount codes, and special offers to the product, supplement, and the book will be listed in the show notes and iTunes, posted on social media, in our weekly newsletter, and on our website at www.beyondyourwildestgenes.com at the Listen Now tab. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome back to Beyond Your Wildest Genes podcast. My name is Dr. Noah DeCoyer and I'm your co-host. Today I'm super excited to have my friend Jason Prowl from You Optimized Radio as our guest. Jason is a longevity and optimal health practitioner who works remotely with individuals around the world to provide solutions for those struggling with weight loss or suffering from complex health issues that their doctors have been unable to resolve. As a nationally recognized speaker and host of the You Optimized Radio Show, he's been able to share his unique and innovative approach with a global audience, which facilitated the transformation of thousands of lives with simple, practical, and powerful solutions to combat chronic health conditions and drastically improve quality of life. Jason's current project is a documentary film series called The Human Longevity Project, which is set to uncover the complex mechanisms of chronic disease and aging and the true nature of longevity in our modern world. Hey, Jason, how are you, man? Hey, good. Glad to be here. Thanks, Noah. I love being interviewed for your podcast. I'm honored to return the favor. You know, I'm especially interested in your documentary film series, especially since one of the projects we did a year and a half ago was the Longevity and Anti-Aging Project. So, how are you, my world traveler? I, I'm I'm doing good. It's it's always good to uh, to chat with like like-minded docs. Um, you know, looking at longevity and and uh, things from an integrative approach. So, always happy to chat. Yeah, yeah. Let's 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 start this off real simple. First question I ask all guests. You know, what's your story, Jason? Yeah. How did you become the longevity expert that I'm speaking with today? How did you end up where you are? How did you end up coming home from Costa Rica last night uh, <laughs> on, on this podcast with me today? Well, um, you know, I, I, I think it all, like like many of us, it starts with our own health, um, looking at the things that are troubling us as as we get older. And um, my, my health issues started off pretty young. Uh, you know, at the age of 13, I was having joint issues. Uh, I had skin problems in tw in my 20s, uh, developed uh, gluten sensitivity, and, and uh, you know the the skin, the joints, and and the food sensitivities really were my big issues that forced me to look at what was going on because you know it, when these things were happening for me, it was you know early 2000s. There wasn't a lot of integrative doctors, and and if they were out there, you didn't know how to find them because the internet wasn't the internet. So. Right. Um, 
it was tough to figure this stuff out. So I, I kind of had to force myself to figure it out. And over the course of, of a number of years and slowly making headway into understanding, you know, physiology and really what's happening, um, you know, I kind of started to get a hang of this stuff and, you know, hung out with a bunch of smart people like yourself, um, integrative functional doctors, um, and just started to use um, kind of an understanding of how the body works and an understanding of how to think about disease and think about health um, to, you know, kind of practice in an integrative functional model. But, uh, you know, kind of as I went through that, what I thought, there are a lot of great doctors out there, um, and some of them yet still aren't focusing on health, right? Um, which is why you and I, you know, uh, have such great conversations because right. – you know, you focus on health, and but yet there's still a lot of doctors out there that are only focusing on disease. And whether you're focusing on disease from a functional or integrative standpoint or holistic or naturopathic standpoint, you're still missing a key point when you're not thinking about the health aspect of things, right? Um, I mean, there's, there's tribes and um, societies around the world that essentially their medicine men uh, basically get replaced or let go if – if there's a lot of disease or sickness in in the group in the society, right? So they basically have an understanding that if the tribe or the the society is healthy, then the medicine man is doing his, his job. And so, you know, I think that's kind of what prompted me to go from the sort of functional medicine integrative standpoint, only focusing on disease, to then you know the health side of things and looking at longevity because, you know, there's a difference between not being sick and truly being healthy, right? So that's really what I wanted to focus on was, was kind of optimal health and not just the absence of disease, but really the, uh, the presence of, of vitality and wellness um, in somebody. So that's kind of where I made my shift. And, um, you know, I still do a lot of the integrative medicine type of things, but um, I really have, have just decided to focus on looking at really, really healthy populations around the world and trying to understand what makes them healthy, not just simply, you know, the, the absence of disease in those populations. Right. Well, when, when we're looking at you, how did, how did you make that transformation using yourself as the model? Because like you said, you had chronic knee problems, uh, skin issues, gluten sensitivity, obviously a lot of, a lot of connections there. How, how did yeah. you use you as the model? How did that, how did that come about? Well, I think I think it just it came down to me looking at my lifestyle and I said, okay, you know, instead of trying to figure out the disease mechanisms and try to interject there, you know, it was really just the philosophy of, you know, kind of just coming to an understanding and a realization that health is innate. It's built in. Um, this is something we are sort of designed to be is healthy. And so, you know, when I started looking at my own lifestyle practices, I realized how many things were basically not they were blocking my health. So, um, you know, I started looking at circadian rhythm function and how to optimize mitochondrial function and remove a lot of these blocking factors that were preventing me from moving forward because it wasn't the that I couldn't figure out the disease mechanisms. It was, okay, how do I deliver health in the most fundamental way? So, um, you know, I basically just got stuck um, until I started incorporating sort of health practices as opposed to simply disease mitigation and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, really something like sleep, right? Sleep is not something that you use to combat disease. Sleep and proper sleep and, and good sleep, and I don't just mean seven hours, but I mean really going through the stages of sleep so that you're repairing, 
that's a health practice, right? So it was those type of things where I was looking at, okay, you know, if I really want to get healthy, like I have to focus on sleep and I've got to understand it and get good at it. And so what does that take? Um, you know, that's, that's not a disease solution. That's a, that's a health solution. So it was just kind of a, 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 something clicked at some point and I can't even say when that was, but you know, that's when it just, it all kind of switched for me and that took my own health to the next level. And I was able to start taking other people's health to the next level as well. Yeah. You're speaking, you know, my original health language, which is chiropractic 101 is, you know, remove the subluxation or remove the misalignment and allow the right. body to function and heal like it was designed to, just like you said. Now there's obviously a ton of barriers, whether it's nutritional, poor sleeping, subluxation or misalignment, but it all comes down to the same fundamental practice of setting up the body for its optimal ability to heal its own self, right? Right, right. And, and that's just it. Like it has instructions, right? So we don't need to rewrite the instruction booklet. We, we just need to let it do what it does. The way I kind of look at the body almost is I sort of intentionally simplify it um, and kind of look at the body as a black box and say, okay, well, I don't need to go interject biochemically necessarily. Um, I just have to figure out how to let it do what it does. And don't worry about all the complex mechanisms going on to some degree. You can get in there and do some things, and that's great, but but it's you have to fix – get rid of the things that are blocking. Then if you need to go to the next step and get get all doctory on the body, you know, if you're trying to dig into the internal workings of the body and you haven't optimized your surroundings and your environment and your thinking, and your emotions and your relationships and all that stuff, then what are we talking about? You know, because you can run functional tests, you can run the best tests in the world. And if you have really screwed up relationships or you have poor sleep or your circadian rhythm is messed up, um, you know, good luck. You're going to see all kinds of stuff come back on those on those labs. And to try to interject at that point without fixing the other stuff, you're just going to chase your tail. Now, here's just a, a blanket question that we talked about prior is what is the biggest contributors to autoimmunity and food sensitivities, even in your case, that's totally being missed by the integrative medicine scene? Yeah, I think – and this, this is something that I, I struggle with forever, right? My, my I, I got better with a lot of my health. Um, the last thing for me was gluten sensitivity, and when I looked at – that and I and, and I had this gluten sensitivity that's that I didn't have before. I didn't have it in my teens, I didn't have it at any point, and then all of a sudden at some point in my twenties, I it was noticeable. And I made huge strides to resolve a lot of my other health issues, but I still had this gluten sensitivity. And what, what that told me was that I'm missing something, that there's something about my immune system that is still going haywire, that is still not corrected. What is it and what's causing the problem? Because I'd fixed my environment. Um, you know, at least in large part. And what I ended up figuring out for myself was that it was these sort of hidden stealth infections, things like viruses, bacteria. Um, you know, we, we look at Lyme disease and that's great, you know, but, but Lyme disease is, that's Borrelia. You know, that's one species of bacteria. You know, we have Bartonella, we, Bartonella we've got Babesia, we've got Rickettsia and Ehrlichia and all kinds of all, all kinds of stuff going on. And then you have the viruses, right? I mean, so many viruses that cause problems and so many versions of viruses. And the problem that I see with 
and it's not the fault of any functional medicine or integrative medicine or any any doctors because the thinking I think is is there. The, the the problem is we don't have technology to be able to find this stuff very well, and we can't find viruses that are in the brain or the you know cerebral spinal fluid in the nervous system tucked away in various organs. These type of things. So the technology is not very good. We don't we're not there yet. And so how do you find something without the technology? But at the same time, how do you treat something that you can't find? So I think, you know, and this is coming from a science-based guy. Uh, I was an engineer. I've been embedded in science. But unfortunately, I had to at some point come to the face the facts that there was really no way I was going to get to this level of, of sort of detection with traditional message, uh, methods. So I kind of had to open myself up to energy testing, right? Um, I call it muscle testing or applied, uh, but this type of thing. And so once I let down, I said, okay, let's try this, you know, did some energy testing and found a handful of infections um, that ranged from Borrelia, Bartonella, uh, Giardia, HDLV, um, all kinds of stuff going on underneath a lot of this, you know, inflammation that was, that was always there. But once I was able to clear those, and, and when I say clear those, what I mean is, is that my immune system, I upregulated my immune system and I sort of dampened the progression of these uh, infections to the point where my immune system could regain control. And, you know, when we talk about things like Epstein-Barr and, and, and some of these things, you know, you don't necessarily get rid of them fully, completely, right? You're, you're always going to have some of that in you and that's okay. It's just, in my, in my view, it's can your immune system regulate it properly and is your immune system functioning properly? So, you know, for my own health, and I'm speaking from my own experience, when I got able to regain control of that stuff, my gluten sensitivity went away. And, you know, the thing about my gluten sensitivity was I, I did all the tests, right? I, I did the, uh, the proper function, did the uh, gene sensitivity testing for it, and I had two genes. So everything was there for me to, quote, unquote, be gluten sensitive, and yet I wasn't gluten sensitive in the early part of my teens and, and in early part of my 20s. Then all of a sudden I was for about five to 10 years. And then I'm not anymore. I can fully eat bread with no problem. Um, so that was a real big eye opener for me was when, when that change happened, when I got rid of the infections, my immune system regained control, my gut was able to heal, um, and the food sensitivity stuff kind of just fell away. Uh, so... That's what I think is being missed right now, um, and I don't think it's anybody's fault except for the fact that we just can't test for it in the traditional ways. So it's kind of hard for us to talk about. And even something like this, when I mentioned energy testing, it, it's it's kind of leaving me open a little bit, right? Uh, because you know, energy testing, you know, applied kinesiology, muscle testing isn't truly accepted in our world fully yet. And I think, like anything else, it's a practice, and it's probably subject to a lot of error. And, you know, some sort of misunderstanding. So anyway, that's what I think is being missed. That comes from my own experience. I've trust I've, I've done I've worked with dozens of people on this stuff um, and food sensitivities and autoimmune conditions. They go away. And I don't mean, you know, they go away if you if you avoid gluten and dairy and corn and soy and all these things. No, they fully go away. And you're able to eat those foods again. Um, if you cho choose, you know, so and, that, and that's fully a function of a properly functioning immune system. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, is I think part of the misconception about autoimmunity 
is that the immune system is attacking the body. And I mean, you might be able to sort of say that when you're logically step back for a second and say, okay, causing the immune system to attack the body. I mean, that kind of implies, it kind of implies that the immune system, you know, is, is kind of stupid and it's, you know, causing harm to itself. If that, in my opinion, if that were the case, you know, our species wouldn't have made it very far. You know, we would have died out long ago. So I come from the, the from the mindset that that our body is is essentially perfect, perfectly designed. Whether you want to say through evolution or nature or God or universe or however you want to classify that is it doesn't really matter to me. But that's my fundamental core belief, and that if we start from there, then the body is going to always try to balance itself. It's it's it doesn't seem logical that it's going to attack itself. So. I think that the immune system can get out of whack, it can get hypersensitive, and it can, especially if you have infections, really be in sort of attack mode, but it's not attacking the body, in my opinion, it's attacking, it's trying to take care of the infections. And you can see this a lot with a thyroid, right? Why do we get nodules? Well, it's because it's trying to encase the infection, usually Epstein-Barr. Um, and if you can clear the Epstein-Barr, Hashimoto's goes away. You know, we kind of, forget that Hashimoto, Hashimoto, it's called Hashimoto's thyroiditis, right? So what does that mean? That just means it's some guy's name and the thyroid is inflamed, <laughs> right? So we throw these complex names at it and yet it really doesn't say anything. So I started off with the opinion that, that the autoimmune thing was the body attacking itself due to, you know, cross-reactive proteins and these type of things. I've since changed my stance on that with this sort of unveiling of these potential infections. I mean, if we think about viruses and bacteria, they've been a part of evolutionary biology from the get-go. This is how, you know, through horizontal gene transfer, it's partially the reason that we have so many species on this planet. Um, you know, viruses and bacteria and molds and fungi and parasites are the reason that old people get sick more often and young people get sick more often because the immune system is not strong enough. Uh, it's not, strong, not as strong as the sort of the middle-aged group. So... I think it's a delicate balance of the immune system protecting you and the viruses and the bacteria in the environment. And that would be a really smart design by life to be able to balance itself. Um, and I think what's happened is that we've lost control of our immune systems through poor birthing practices, through a lack of breastfeeding, through uh, poor emotional states and family situations, through um, you know toxins in the, in the environment, right? I mean, the, the average baby's born with... 280 to 320 chemicals in the umbilical cord, right? I mean, this is this is horrific what we're doing. So, of course, our immune system is going to be weak. So we don't have a defense anymore. Yeah, it's it's fascinating for me in a variety of reasons. One, <clears throat> I spend a lot of time outdoors, and I I just got bit by my first tick and had to have had to have my wife remove it from me. It, <laughs> she had a a tug of war with this little tiny <laughs> oh my bug. God. So I'm on a bunch of antimicrobials prophylactically just to make sure that uh, yeah. that, that little guy didn't transfer anything over <clears throat> far beyond Lyme disease. And secondly, like you mentioned, um, it's just this thing we've created in our society now this incredible matrix of ill health where it's not just an infection. It's like it's poor sleep. Right. It's, <clears throat> it's uh, <clears throat> a glycosophate and it's – it's all these things, and it's so hard to pinpoint. It's so hard to nail down, um, and it's got to come back down to what you're, what you're an expert in, and then that's creating 
the healthy person and traditional practices. So, so let's let's go there. Where you know you've been working on this documentary series, uh, the Human Longevity Project. You're interviewing these people in these different blue zones. You just got back from Costa Rica. Now, what what are some? It's not finished yet, but what are some of the insights you're starting to learn from these people that have lived long? healthy lives, that live in areas where people are healthy, that live to 80, 90, 100, that have strong social um, groups around them. What, yeah. what, are you, what are you putting together now? What, what can we expect in the future with this project? Well, and, and you hit a, a, on the head in a lot of ways. And first, let me say this, that, you know, I've said it before, and I think it's very important to understand that we can't learn anything about health by studying disease. Right. That's like trying to, to understand light by studying the darkness. You can't you can't do it. So we have to look at healthy people if we want to understand the potential for health. Um, and so although I'm not going in there and doing physiological studies, uh, I, I we can do epidemiological stuff. Right. We can ask questions and just get a sense of things. And I mean, oh, my gosh, it's fascinating when you talk to these people. Um, since we just talked about infections, I'll, I'll, I'll start off on this. A lot of people um, in the 60s and 70s and 80s and even some of the younger kids in the 30s, they actually said that they get dengue fever quite a bit. Um, and, you know, if we if somebody got dengue fever here in the, in the States, you know, I'd be off to the hospital and, you know, get some sort of antibiotic or, or you know, vaccine or something. Right. They, they treat it with modern medical approaches. Right. And what they used to do down there um, is, is very simple. They would use herbs and plants to resolve that issue and really wasn't that tough for them um they i think they would take uh papaya leaves i believe and make a tea out of that um to clear the dengue fever um they used um something called uh wani lama um which is an amazing sort of medicinal tea that they make and that gets rid of dengue so it also lowers and combats sort of high cholesterol so it it, it works in a number of ways but this is something that they used um to to figure this stuff out to, to get rid of the stuff and one of the 30 year olds i was talking to he he got he got dengue and he, he said he felt awful and he was going to go to the hospital to get it taken care of and his mom kind of looked at him and, and was talking to him and said hey what are you doing you don't, don't go to the hospital it's gonna they're gonna give you things that make you weaker and she gave him the papaya leaves uh and the tea that they make and he said he was better in three days so you know we kind of have this fear about these things. These people figured it out, you know, over generations, and the and the, the the knowledge was passed down. One of the things, though, that you know, I think will be probably very apparent in many of these sort of longevity zones around the world, um, as we release this docu series, is that while they are still very healthy in these places, they may not be longevity zones for much longer. They are adopting Western ways. They, are, they have tourism coming. Um, so a lot of the people that I interviewed that were in their 70s and 80s and 90s down there, they were recalling times that were much different. I mean, they, uh, in a lot of these village areas, they didn't get electricity until 30 years ago. <laughs> so, I mean, think about that. They don't have lights. They don't have washers and dryers. They're literally working in the fields with, the, you know, it, with their bare hands with very basic equipment. They're outside all the time. Right. They have good social groups. One of the ladies was telling me that 
that the kids, that the women would stay home and take care of the household and usually the small farm stuff and, and raise the kids and all these things, do a lot of the chores around the house. And they, she said that one of the favorite, her favorite things she used to do, this was probably 40 years ago or 50 years ago, was after the men would come back from working in the fields and doing all their stuff outside essentially, that they would pick all the ticks and the bugs off of them, kind of like monkeys do. She's like, that was one of our favorite things. We would take care of the men as they would come home and they, you know, they looked forward to that and we looked forward to it. And so totally fascinating that that's the way they used to live. And, um, you know, it's starting to change and the, the younger generations are losing some of that knowledge that the older generations had. So it's, you know, Western medicine's kind of coming in there and the, and the medical systems are kind of coming in there. It's not nearly as bad as we have here in terms of drugs and, you know, this sort of rush to, you know, give treatment, but the times are changing down there. And, um, you know, you could sense that it's not going to be like that for much longer in a lot of these areas and, and that their practices that allowed them to live these long, healthy lives, um, you know, are going to be sort of relegated to these small little villages, um, around the coast. So, you know, it was fascinating. Um, Part of it was was very much expected, you know. Some of the things I heard, some of it wasn't. Some of it was pretty, uh, pretty remarkable. Um, I'll give you another example that was pretty cool to hear. Um, I asked one of the old uh, one of the old ladies about um, birthing practices. I said, you know, how long did you, you know, when you were younger, how long did women breastfeed? And and she said, well, it depends. You know, anywhere from a year to up to six years if they. And, and I said, six years, why, why so long? And she said, well, if you, that was the method of birth control. If you didn't want to get pregnant, you kept breastfeeding. Right. And I was like, wow, that's a fascinating thing. So they're like, that's, a, that's kind of a, a double whammy, right? Not only is the kid getting really healthy sustenance from the mother for many, many years, and they probably incorporated other foods, of course, but, but not only is that happening, but instead of taking birth control pills like we do here in the West, which... We, you know, you and I both know destroy gut bacteria and all cause all kinds of hormonal problems. Right. Instead, they're staying in a natural state. So, you know, pretty fascinating to hear that stuff. And, you know, <laughs> I can't imagine a woman here in the West would be not only able to do that, but would, would want to do that to be, you know, nursing for six years, um, you know, as a method of trying to uh, keep from getting pregnant. So, you know. A lot of cool stuff, a lot of fascinating information, um, and I think it's going to shed light on on how you remain healthy. And and not all of them were as weird as that, you know. <laughs> uh, but but I will say that the point of this docu series is to show the things that create health and longevity, but also with the understanding that we can't live like the people in Costa Rica on the Nicoya Peninsula. We can't live like Okinawans, right? You know, if you're if you're living in Chicago, you know, good luck living like an Okinawan. It's just not going to happen. So we have to take the information that we can glean from those areas and now have a modern application for it, right? And so a good example of that would be, you know, okay, how do we how do we combat these artificial lights at night? Well, we wear the orange glasses, right? You know, we wear the blue blockers and we download things on our computer so that they're not as bright, right? So those are kind of small steps that can, with the understanding of, you know, circadian rhythm and the, in the natural world, you don't see bright blue, green, white lights at night. Um, so that's the point. The point is to not simply say, okay, you know, they eat mostly a vegetarian diet and they de-stress and they have good social groups and blah, blah, blah. The point is to say, okay, 
it's a lot of these other things too. And how can we apply that to here, uh, our situation here in the West? And what things do we have here in the West that are, are causing problems um, that you don't see in these, in these other places? It's taking uh, ancient wisdom and applying uh, modern technology and biohacks to it. To right. Right. Now, absolutely. Now, you, you, you spent some time in Loma Linda, California as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a fascinating place. That and why? Why is that considered a longevity or a blue zone? What What are they doing different? Is that um the the religious group there? Um, yeah, yeah, the Seventh Day Adventists. Yes, that's yeah. right. So they're primarily yeah. vegetarian. They are vegetarian, right? Yeah, for the most part. Well, and so one of the experts that we interviewed, um, Arista Vojdani, who I'm sure you're you're familiar with, right? He's yeah. a uh, uh, immunologist does a lot of research. He's actually does. Uh, he's a professor at Loma Linda. He actually does some teaching out there. So, um, you know, I actually interviewed him to basically get a better understanding of immune system function. And, um, you know, I asked him about Loma Linda as well. And one of the things he, that struck me that he said was that there was obvious when we went out there was, I'm just going to say it, it's kind of a dump. It's kind of cool. It's in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. It's next okay. to San Bernardino. It's, right. it's, it's, polluted you drive in and you see a mcdonald's and you're like this is the place this is far from a paradise you know it's it's kind of this dumpy little town but what's fascinating and and it's very toxic actually it's one of the most toxic places in california um well i'd say one of the most it's it's very toxic because it's inland and they just don't have great systems there um they definitely don't have good waters and, and any of that stuff so you have to ask yourself okay if they're facing kind of an uphill battle they must be doing some other things right. And, you know, a couple of things that we noticed were, yes, primarily they have a vegetarian diet. Now, I know that there's a lot of people out there that love to talk about food and debate food and what's the right way to eat. One of the things I can say about a veg diet, especially when we're talking about a lot of research that looks at protein, specific amino acids that kind of shut down the longevity part. So when you're looking at longevity, there's kind of this seesaw battle. One is on one side of the equation you have um, – sort of the uh, having babies, right? And being in this progestation state, right? And, and there's kind of this growth baby having state. And then once that shuts off, then you have kind of this longevity situation. So they're actually kind of on opposite ends of the seesaw. So, so there's, there's fascinating research that looks at that and this, and that looks at, okay, what is it that kind of flips that switch? And a couple of the things are amino acids, certain amino acids. So, you know, don't eat as much animal protein, um, particularly you, you're losing some of those amino acids, which actually can give you this longevity. And then, of course, there's lots of other beneficial things about plants. You know, they feed the gut microbiome, um, you know, sort of the energy aspect of them from, from the mitochondria standpoint, they're very easy to digest. Um, there's a lot of great things. Um, so that's not to say I, I fully support and endorse into a vegetarian diet, but I will say for longevity purposes, it can be very useful, especially in your later years as you kind of flip into this longevity aspect of life as opposed to, you know, having babies. So, you know, there's that, but they also have a strong faith and having a strong faith in whatever religion or spiritual practice you have is important because it, it gives you a sense of purpose, attitude for something other than yourself. Um, it can join people together, right? So it, it strengthens communities. Um, and that's one thing you see there when you, when you go to Loma Linda, as dumpy of a place as it may seem from the outside, once you kind of get in the mix, man, you've got hospitals and the whole university is dedicated to health basically. And dentists and all the chiropractors, all these things in the community. It's a small community, but man, they are so focused on health that it's pretty fascinating. And so it's a community focus on health. It's a community um, driven place. 
And not only that, the Seventh-day uh, Adventist sort of practice does involve a lot of good things when it comes to health, you know, um, taking time off, relaxing, getting outside, eating organic, vegetarian type of stuff. So, you know, there's a lot of things that go on in there, um, but it's uh, it's definitely, I would say, the odd man out, if you will, um, from the rest of the places we look at, because it just doesn't seem to fit. It's kind of the only one that's not an island or a peninsula, um, you know, the other ones being Sardinia over in Italy and uh, uh, Ikaria in Greece. Um, and then you have Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica. And then you have Okinawa, which is an island in Japan. So, you know, and there's a couple other ones around the world. So I wouldn't say those are the only ones, but those are the ones that have been identified kind of in the research and by National Geographic in the 90s. And so we're just kind of using that as a template to look at what what's really happening there. So um, when you look at Loma Linda, it just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb and you're going, what the heck is going on there? You know, so it's cool. just, just, I guess to just finish tying up the, the protein idea, I, I guess you're talking more about the mTOR pathway and then maybe some protein sparing kind of diets for longevity, I would imagine, in the in a more of a modern day application, right? Yeah, yeah. And and um, a couple of the papers that, that I'm sort of uh, thinking about, um, they do identify the mTOR pathway and actually some other things too that they weren't really sure what was happening. Uh, but if I remember right, it was, uh, I can't remember what the amino acid actually off the top of my head, uh, but they identified a specific amino acid. It was very fascinating to look at that, um, in, at least in that particular research. But but absolutely, I think, you know, the mTOR pathways is, is definitely one that, you know, we can look at, um, per, particularly with longevity and, and growth and these type of things. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned it several times with like, you know, the social networks. And when I, when I read and was interested in the Blue Zones, they, I think they particularly targeted Okinawa as having like a strong social group. I forget the, the terminology they, they used. Uh, but you're seeing that more now in our world where, uh, James, a friend of mine, James Maskell, talks about sociogenomics and how, how important that is, even in uh, the social aspect within the functional medicine realm. And then in uh, Rob Wolf's new book, Wired to Eat, he's talking about the social aspect. So, I mean, it's 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 in the forefront. Social social connection is becoming more and more uh, prevalent in the forefront, in front of people's minds. And that's a forefront in all of these all of these blue zones. Is that correct? Yeah, and I would say thank God it's becoming to the forefront because we've become so disconnected. Um, it's it's kind of crazy, right? I mean, I I don't know how to put it any other way, but you know, this we are we are we are connected through technology, but we are not really that connected anymore through real world experiences. And so you're starting to see a comeback in that, I think, and it's really good to see. And now the research and the health world is now looking at that and understanding it. Um, you know, the, the guys out of UCLA, uh, um, Dr. Cole, uh, in particular, um, they're looking at in the stress lab, they're looking at a lot of this stuff, social genomics. And, uh, we actually interviewed James Maskell for, for our docuseries and he, he shed some very, uh, some light on some very good things. Um, and, you know, it's very surprising things that, you know, they've, there's research out there that is looking at fascinating things like people getting fired and when one person gets fired versus the group getting fired and the dynamic that that causes um it's it's crazy and um i I think it's probably more important than we than even we currently recognize and it's really becoming coming to the forefront like you mentioned um but i i think it probably has a long way to go and it on on some level you know it shouldn't surprise us right i mean we are social creatures um at our very nature. And so when you don't have that, it stands to reason that there's a lot of things physiologically that will go 
uh, haywire, you know, that will basically keep us in this chronic stress mode that will activate sort of our, uh, you know, our, our stress response and our autonomic nervous system and shift it over to the sympathetic side and, you know, keep us in this fight or flight thing of, you know, I, I don't belong. And so that's going to have a huge impact on things. And, and it's, yeah, you're right. It's, it's in every blue zone. Um, and we still have yet to go to a couple of them. Um, but, you know, from my research on the outside, I can tell you that that's, that's been looked at. And so when we go there, it'll, it'll be interesting to see it. Um, and that's the whole point of, of us going to these, these areas is to look at them and show the lifestyles, show how these people interact, show what they're doing. Um, because it's, it's important to see that it's not that longevity and, and health in our later years doesn't come from, you know, a, a fantastic medical system and health care for everybody. And, you know, and it doesn't even, it's not even just food, which I think a lot of people were still in this mindset that if I just eat healthy and I move, then I'll live a long, healthy life. And that's just not the case. You know, those are two very important things. But, you know, our goal with this, this project is to show all the things that really matter. And I can tell you that childhood traumas and social connections are two massive components to health and longevity. And if you look, I mean, I think everybody has a story or knows somebody with a story of, yeah, my grandfather used to drink whiskey every day and smoke cigarettes till he was 95. I mean, right? We have all heard somebody with that story or we know oh, somebody that was sure. like that, right? So how can we look at that? You know, he used to eat bacon and eggs all the time or he ate this every day. You hear those stories all the time and it's always the weirdest food or, you know, smoking or drinking or something to that effect. And so we can't look at these things in isolation. If that person has, you know, a, had a really good birthing experience, a really strong family connection, really good social connections throughout their life, they were outside all the time, um, you know, they got good sleep, all those type of things. Their, their physical structure was was in good shape. They didn't, you know, beat themselves up. Hey, you know, maybe your body can overcome, you know, constant stress of drinking or smoking or eating a crappy diet. So there's a lot we have to look at. And it's not that hard. It, it, it may sound overwhelming. It's pretty darn simple. You just have to see it for what it is and start to incorporate it. Yeah. I mean, you could, we could just start with sleeping, right? If you, and this, this is my downfall. Yeah. You, you can just start with sleeping and conquer sleeping in, in all its glory. And, you know, it, that could solve 90% of your problems. Right. right. Or, I mean, or create 90% of your problems. <laughs> right. Well, Think about it. What's the one time we actually recover? It's during sleep. We basically, our bodies are in sort of catabolic destruction mode during the day. That's sort of the nature of the day. And, you know, despite the fact that you're eating, that's sort of irrelevant. But, um, you know, the, the place that which you recover, where your cells turn over, where, you know, all the recycling, the cell suicide, that primarily happens at night. You know, all the autophagy and the mitophagy and all this stuff really happens you know there's i think we're still in the dark ages when it comes to even understanding sleep i mean who knows i mean there's a lot of um you know ancient cultures that that i, I think probably have a way better understanding than we do um so you know there's there's still a long way to go i think in fully understanding what sleep is doing but um clearly it is the mechanism by which we extend our lives right and and the, the easiest example i'll give look at somebody who look at an insomniac and and look at somebody who cannot literally sleep, you know, uh, it's good. You know, they go downhill very quickly. Um, 
So there's a reason that your body shuts down <laughs> and it's to recharge those batteries. So, you know, I totally agree with you. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of, of if you want to focus on one thing, focus on sleep. Forget everything else. If you need to focus on one thing, just dial that in and get good at that. Um, and if, you, if you're not sleeping then, and you're not focusing on sleeping, then you're really doing yourself a, a disservice. I totally agree. After after interviewing Dr. Kirk Parsley and Dr. Michael Bruce and James Swanick, uh, I agree with you 100%. Right? Start with sleep first. Absolutely. With 100%. Uh, Jason- well, and, and I know you, you're, I, I remember um, you had blue blockers on, I think, the last Listen, I, I have them on right, I got them on right now. I, I, have, exactly. I have three different companies' blue blockers. <laughs> and I test them all out. I, I look at the different stylish ones. There's these the True Dark Daywalkers. I got them. I got them all. I'm, I've been practicing, trying them, figuring them out, using them, and uh, it's made a big difference. My kids have multiple pairs, you know, so it's a big deal for sure. Well, and and you kind of highlight the point that I like to to make. You know, on some level, we kind of have to get dorky with this stuff, right? Like you can't you can't be the cool guy anymore and focus on the stuff because our modern world is so screwed up. So have some fun with it, you know, go get those weird glasses and something new comes out, play with it, see what works for you, you know, where the, just let go of all the, all the nonsense and, you know, fill your house with candles, you know, uh, light a fire again for crying out loud, you know, get the orange bulbs and the red bulbs and just play around with that stuff and, and just kind of let go. So I, I love the fact that you do that. That's awesome. Yep. Yep. I hear you. Now you mentioned something and it, and it probably got glossed over, but I wanted to touch upon it. You mentioned, uh, childhood traumas and and Mm. the way we got introduced was through nikki gratrix and her work just freaking blows blows my mind um with all her emotional work she does and all the statistics and everything now does does is there a correlation in these blues are you seeing anything with how these these societies deal with traumas is it all is it a social thing are you seeing any connections what are you making on that front and childhood traumas in, in these areas I mean, there's a lot less of it, I can tell you that, um, partially because they have a stronger social connection and a stronger family connection, okay. and the family is important. Um, you know, the elder, you know, the, the 94-year-old grandma isn't pushed to the side in a nursing home. She is the head of the household, you know, and so there's respect for the older generations. There's a, there's a tight family connection. Um, you know, part of uh, most of these blue zones, they have this same mentality of chill the heck out you know i mean they in costa rica they say pura vida right and just live a pure life just relax and they even say it just as a as a hello and a goodbye right when you're when you say goodbye to somebody they say pura vida so it's this constant reminder of just just relax it's all good you know so their stress levels are so much lower and while their lives may seem harder i think one of the fascinating things i I remember talking to one of the gals about was you know we had to work for our food every day you know part some of the fruits were growing on trees we can go pick it easy you know we had to farm we had to basically our day was working so that we could live and she but she also said but that was easy because we knew what we do in every day there was no stress it was just work so we had work but we had no stress because we knew exactly what we needed to do every single day and i thought that was fascinating right i mean think about us 
we are constantly stressed, right? Oh my God, what's the boss going to think? Oh my gosh, I have all these employees I got to take care of. You know, there's a mil- I got a million emails I got to answer. So our days are are changing. You know, even though they may they may seem rather you know boring or dull or repetitive, you know, we're constantly stressed out with all these things. When you're working with the land and you're working with um, you know more natural environment, there's just the stress isn't there. So overall. They have much lower stress. The childhood traumas are not nearly as significant. The birthing is better. So, you know, when a child is has a, a umbilical cord wrapped around its neck and it comes into this world in a stressed out mode, that child's wired for stress. And it's usually going to have to, it's going to take some undoing um, to sort of, you know, undo that stuff. So everything that they do facilitates less trauma. And that, I think, just translates to a, a, a healthier human because you're not in this sympathetic nervous system state you're not in this uh you know this this overdrive this stress this high uh, hpa axis uh you know overdrive and you know going back to infections even there's viruses that take advantage of somebody that's in a stressed out state when cortisol rises adrenaline rises um that's when they will move around the body and they might they might migrate to another part of the body. So the viruses and the bacteria are sensing this in us. So if you've got an infection and you're constantly stressed, well, now you're gonna you're gonna speed the progression of that viral sort of uh, pathogenesis. So it all ties together. And you know, Nikki and we had her, uh, we interviewed her for our docu series as well. She's amazing with stats. She'll she'll throw them at you all day long, and. They're unbelievable. I mean, it's like the more childhood traumas that we get, and it applies to adulthood trauma as well, but the more trauma we carry, um, the more we see, you know, poor health practices, you know, in terms of smoking and drinking and drug abuse and all these things. But we also see, even without st- that stuff, we see just poor health, you know, more likelihood of uh, a heart attack, a diabetes, um, you know, autoimmune conditions, uh, et cetera. You name a disease, it doesn't matter, cancer. More likelihood of cancer if somebody has childhood traumas than somebody that doesn't or has fewer childhood traumas. That's fascinating, despite whether they do from a lifestyle perspective. So some of it is lifestyle driven, but some of it is physiologically driven. That is not lifestyle at all. So it's a huge one. It's a major, major thing. And it comes down to how we bring children into this world. How, you know, are are we doing C-sections? Are we... Um, you know, uh, adoptions and abortions and or failed abortions or what have you, are these things happening um, at, at a higher rate? And if so, what's that doing to the kids? And how is that going to affect their their health in their later years? You know, and so it's not easy to understand this stuff, but the, the studies is, is sort of um, broad, maybe as they are, are just beyond telling. You know, it is it, you have to be a fool to deny the... Uh, relationship between childhood trauma and and uh, you know disease later on in life. Yeah. Who um while while we start winding this down, who are some of the few other people that you interviewed uh, just to spark our audience interest in this project a little bit more? Yeah, we've got some pretty pretty great people and and a diverse group. Um, we've got experts like uh, Karan Krishnan, uh, Arista Vojdani, uh, Michael Bruce, who you mentioned earlier on sleep. Um, we've got Sachin Patel, uh, that's involved, uh, Nikki Gratrix. Um, and then we've got other people that maybe aren't, 
well, they're still experts, but they're not maybe at the sort of clinical research side of things. Um, guys like J.P. Sears, right? You might know him. Oh, from, yeah, yeah, no, uh, no, that's great. Right. So, uh, you know, and he, I mean, he, not only is he a funny guy, but his his whole thing is he uses humor for health purposes, right? He's lightening the whole stage around health, right? Um, he mocks these things that we all kind of take so seriously. So it's brilliant. And, you know, we talk about that um, and a lot of other things. I mean, he's a smart, smart dude, um, knows a ton of, about emotional stuff. Um, you know, we've got Ben Greenfield from sort of the fitness and physiological side of things um, and the nutrition side of things. So, I mean, those are just some. I mean, we've got um, a, a number of people. I think we're going to be interviewing Bruce Lipton here soon. Um, you know, his biology of belief is 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 fascinating stuff. Um, yeah, amazing researcher. Semin, um, seminal book. One of the most important books written in the last 50 years by far. Right? I totally agree. And when I saw that stuff, I'm like, holy crap, this changes everything, <laughs> you know? So I, it's, it, I've long wanted to interview him. And so, um, you know, I, I think that's going to happen here soon. Um, and, and then other guys that, you know, may not seem like they fit, but they're going to provide amazing information. Uh, Preston Smiles. Um, he's, he does a lot of these, um, sort of talking poetry, uh, videos that you see on YouTube and, and Facebook. Um, you know, the guy's all about love and his, his work about connection and bringing people together and sharing the love and supporting each other and compassion. That's huge for health. So, you know, we're kind of hitting it all, you know, the meditation crowd, the spiritual crowd, the, uh, the fitness crowd, the sleep crowd, the paleo crowd the crossfit i mean it's literally the entire spectrum of people uh because all those things play a role in longevity you know um how are, are the childbirthing and how important that is i mean you know we and we touch on vaccines and that kind of thing you know and that's a touchy subject these days you know and there's a lot of debate about what what's good what's bad and how we should approach that all i can say is from the people that we talk to they didn't give vaccinations back in the day, you know? And so I'm not going to say vaccinations are good or bad. I will say that they didn't need them. So whether or not we need them today is maybe a different question that, that needs to be talked about. But in those places, 50, 60, you know, even 30 and 40 years ago, they weren't giving vaccinations to, ch to children. So, you know, What's interesting about that comment is that we have to start to think about this, that maybe we don't need them as much as we think we do, you know, and, and hopefully we can change the conversation about that a little bit instead of having this very emotionally driven, you know, they cause autism. No, they don't. They are responsible for curing, you know, eradicating these infectious diseases. You know, that's kind of the, the conversation right now. Well, can we just step back a little bit and say, maybe we don't need them as much as we think we do, you know, because here's some examples of populations that live a very long, healthy life that they didn't give them. So, you know, that kind of thing. We just want to look at and, and see what's, what was done. And we want to take the on the ground real world experience and also interview, you know, experts here in the modern world and see what they say. And does it correlate? And so far, we've found some, found some fascinating correlations. They're, they're saying kind of the same things. You know, Aristo Vostani said, I asked them, but I actually, usually I know what the, these people are going to say. You know, I've, I've 
researched and I've, I've listened to them enough that I kind of know their opinions. I said, hey, what do you think about, you know, this idea that, you know, getting these sicknesses maybe as children and as adults is a good thing for the immune system? Um, and he said, absolutely. You know, we need to be getting sick. That's like, you know, that's like weight training for your immune system. You get stronger. And I, I was glad that he said that because that was kind of my opinion. And I was hoping he would sort of back me up. And he, and he did. He's fully on board with the fact that getting sick is not a bad thing. It's not fun, but your immune system gets training. It's like a software download for your immune system. And the more practice it gets, the more it understands, more it knows how to write, write that software, write that program, then, hey, you're going to be in better shape as you go. Well, this is a topic for another day, but you know that we're, we're trading infectious diseases with autoimmune diseases because our nervous system is not getting that education it needs anymore. I mean, we all know it. That, it's obvious. Totally, totally agree with you. I couldn't agree more. It, and it is. That's a big topic in and of itself, but oh, um, Jesus. it's important yes. to, to at least understand that, you know. Yep. It's, all right. So I, I'm I'm super excited for this. I can't wait to help promote this this project. When when do you see it likely coming out? Yeah, I think I think we'll be wrapping up the production and the and the final pieces of this thing probably in in October or so, uh, maybe November. And so um, you know, with all the pieces that we've got to put together for it um, to get ready to kind of let it out there, uh, probably in January of next year. Um, and it'll be, you know, free on the internet, um, to watch. So, um, you know, we're going to give people access to this thing and, and, uh, we want people to see what health looks like and see what the health practices are. We don't want to show you what disease is and say, you know, you got to come to me for the solution. You know, we want to show you the solutions because it's yours. You have it. There's nothing preventing you from, from getting it. Um, you know, you just have to figure out what, what it's causing the diseases and how to how to apply these these health practices. Now, final thing, Jason, how um, how can our audience in the meantime get in touch with you, your work, uh, your podcast, the whole thing? Yeah, they can check out my podcast um, on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, and, and all that stuff. It's You Optimized Radio. I've been slacking on it lately with all my travel, but um, I have been interviewing some of these experts, and, and I'm, I'm going to be releasing some of that stuff uh, here soon. Um, yeah, they can email me if they, if they uh, have any specific questions. Um, I'm always open to email, so just you can shoot me an email at uh, jason at jasonperl.com. Um, and they can check out my website, jasonparl.com. I've got a couple articles there and, and just some things kind of talk about what I do. But, um, but yeah, I, you know, we hope to get a public website out here soon for this project because we, we really just want to get people involved and, and, um, give them the solutions that they're looking for so that they can combine a lot. Cause I mean, this is what you do. I know you do this as a, as a chiropractor. You, you teaching people the lifestyle stuff while you work on them from a physical standpoint, nutritional standpoint, um, because that's your specialty, but but they, in order to have that stick, they got to do all the lifestyle stuff. And so, this is what we're trying to do: is help get that conversation started, so that you know, good doctors, good integrative physicians, chiropractors, acupuncturists can do their work and have it stick better. Because without the lifestyle stuff, they have to keep coming back, right? I mean, you can't you can't fix them if they don't help 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 you with that stuff. So, right. that's what we're trying to do. Great. Well, thanks again, Jason. I'm looking forward to uh, continuing our conversation. Um, it's you're just always a fascinating person to talk to, and and now that I have a better idea of what this project is, I'm really excited for it. So thank you again. 
Well, thanks for giving me the platform to uh, to talk about it, and, and uh, I am sure I'll be seeing you very soon. Absolutely. My name is Dr. Noah DeCoy, your co-host, and you are listening to the Beyond Your Wildest Dreams podcast. If you like what you've heard today, please share this with your friends and encourage them to subscribe on iTunes. Leaving a review and rating on iTunes help us move up the chart. Thank you, and as my oldest son Hayden says, be awesome and never unawesome. It's Dr. Noah, and I'm back. I suspect you love listening to this week's podcast release. Our book of the month is F Your Feelings, Master Your Mind, Accomplish Anything, and Become a More Significant Human by Ryan Munsey. We absolutely love this book and the author. A must read. The link will be in the emails, social media, and our show notes, so check it out. Our product of the month is Cavaplex, Full Spectrum Cava Oil. Kava has been used for thousands of years and is enjoyed by millions as a drink when it's prepared in the traditional way by kneading and squeezing the root powder in water for some time. Now it is available when you need it without all the time and hassle in a a full-spectrum oil product from True Kava called Kavaplex. I first tried this product after receiving it in a biohacking quarterly box and fell in love with it. You can check it out at our website. And you can receive 20% off using the code capital B, capital Y, capital W, capital G, capital K, capital A, capital V, capital A, BYWG, Kava. The supplement of the month for March is Stress Rebalancer. This is a specially selected blend of vitamins, adaptogens, herbs, and amino acids that help counteract the negative effects of stress on the body. By reducing cortisol levels, which is the stress hormone, improving immune function, acting as acting antioxidants against free radical formation, improving muscle relaxation, calming the brain, and reducing anxiety and mild depression and helping with better sleep. This is a one-stop shop for managing the physical impacts of stress. The 10% discount code for the month of March is Stress Relieve 10 and can be used online or at the office. If you have any questions or comments, please never hesitate to reach out to us. Thank you for your time and be awesome and never unawesome.